This is Political Arts. My guest this week is Dr. Hans Paul Berkner, chairman of the Boston Consulting Group, a leading management consultancy. In Berkner's three terms as president and CEO, the firm tripled its number of employees and launched its public sector and social impact practice. BCG now has offices in 90 cities across 50 countries. As a student, Berkner studied economics, business, and Chinese in his native Germany, at Yale, and at Oxford. As we'll hear, his wide-ranging interest in the world was sparked, in part, by his love of books. So Hans Paul Berkner, the first question I had for you is, growing up as a young boy, you read a lot of books on Asia, and as your first degree, you studied business and Chinese. How do you make the mental jump between learning about a place and thinking that you can contribute to changing what's going on there? Well, quite honestly, I think when I got interested in, uh, in Asia, and in particular in China, uh, of course, it started with books, uh, books about Chinese history. I vividly remember a book about the history of technology from China and uh, the change of China um, during, you know, the uh, the 19th century, then the 20th century, the uh, uh, rise of what was then called communist China or red China, and then actually came the at the end of the 60s the Cultural Revolution. It was really intriguing. I was not one of those, uh, you know, young people who were <laughs> waving the Mao Bible, you know. Um, I was quite uh, skeptical, but, um, you know, it was quite intriguing to see this. So I, I did not, quite honestly, I did not have the feeling that by learning about it, I would be able to contribute. I would be willing, I, w- I would be able to, to change things. But, but I was fascinating, you know, also intrigued by the main, the huge differences between what's going on in Asia in Africa, Latin America, North America, Europe, and to that people have so many different uh, kinds of environments. So it was more to be in awe than in <laughs> than to have the feeling, you know, I'm going to to uh, to uh, to make a difference. Quite honestly, I think that would have been quite presumptuous. Um, I, I felt, you know, the, um, the, the the scale of the of the problems that we we're facing were enormous and overwhelming. How do you deal with that in your career today? Because you must occupy that half zone between learning and practicing at all times as a consultant. Well, I think over time you learn that you actually you can make a difference. And um, we established, and I was, I was the, the CEO under, and when we started establishing the public sector practice, the social impact practice at BCG, and we can really make a difference, not necessarily change all the world and, and not <laughs> quite quickly, but we can really make a difference, whether it's you know, on education, the welfare system, the judicial system in which we have been working, and also in, in the social impact arena, we work with, with major um, uh, NGOs like the Gates Foundation on Global Health, we work with the um, uh, World Food Program, and Rolling Back Malaria was one of the uh, initiatives where we uh, helped to uh, coordinate uh, 
uh, hundreds of organizations who are involved, and, and really, you know, driving down the number of, of kids, for example, who are getting infected and who are dying of malaria, um, that is really rewarding experience because you can see the difference or the progress that we've made over the last 30, 40, 50 years around the world. It's just quite stunning. Yeah. Yeah? I know that people are, you know, pro often have the feeling that everything is going down the drain. I think nothing could be further from the truth. We are making progress, but not every year in every area and not every country, but but step by step, I think we have made great progress. And we, as BCG, you know, we have made a significant, even though um, a small uh, contribution to that. Mm. Hans Paul, I wonder if you could present the first piece of artwork that was influential in your life. <laughs> I've been reading lots and lots of books, many of which are, um, are probably not literary <laughs> works, <laughs> just about uh, kids or young people finding their way of life. I think one, one of the books which I remember, which I got, I think, for my sixth birthday was um, Adventures in the Pampers about a boy of, whatever, 15, 16, from Austria, deciding he wants to go to, to the sea and, and uh, start as a cook on an English sailor mm. and then, you know, travel around the world and ending up shipwrecked in, uh, in Argentina or Chile um, and there found a new life and so forth. And I... I would not call this a piece of art, <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly um, I think it it was interesting to uh, to read about this, and I think I still remember some piece of that because I also had the habit of of reading quite a number of books uh, several times, and um, you know one of the key elements I felt very much, I mean, through the books, you can shape your own destiny, and you are responsible for yourself and so don't you know blame anybody else or don't expect anything from anybody else but you know take destiny in your own hands do work hard uh, to make it work and um, also accept that there are setbacks and failures mm -hmm. um, but some people always find you know reasons why things are not working out and blaming others and I, I always felt you know it was completely up to me which of course on the one hand means you are putting a burden on your shoulder, but also it makes you free because, you know, it allows you to say, I can do it myself and I have to do it myself. So I, I cannot rely on, uh, on anybody else and I should not wait for anybody else. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's quite important. And um, if you really want to do something, do it, you know, don't expect somebody to deliver something to you. Mm. How does humility fit into that picture, Hans Paul? Because it's an individual vision of achievement, right? Yes, of course. But but of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's only so much you can achieve by yourself. Mm. You always need to engage with others. And I think we, we talk a lot about leadership during this symposium. And, you know, there is also this talk about self. And of course, knowing yourself a bit is, is quite important. Um, but leadership is about others. It's never about yourself it's never about your status it's ne not about your your uh, compensation it's not about your rewards and and your glory it's always about others have you been able to serve others have you been able to get the best out of others empowered them enabled them mobilized them motivated them and i think as a reflection of that you know humility is very very important you need 
to know that there are severe limitations on yourself. Of course, you are responsible mm -hmm. for yourself and for things that go around you, but you can only achieve so much by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always felt... Um, you know, uh, very skeptical when it comes to uh, people, you know, the charismatic leader who has mm. achieved this or that. And um, it takes so much, uh, so many more to, to make it work. Mm. My second set of questions is about ethical leadership in business. Um, and the first choice that a consultancy like BCG has to make is whether to engage or not with a particular project. And when you're working with autocratic regimes or unsavory leaders, and Saudi Arabia is the case that's been in the news recently. Can you take us through the thinking process of balancing, on one hand, trying to have a moderating or a positive influence in that country versus potentially strengthening or legitimizing those regimes? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question. I mean, we had this um, in 2006. We, we um, talked about uh, building a team in the Middle East, um, and also, of course, the question of whether to engage in Saudi Arabia. And based on the experience of the development between West and East Germany, I felt very strongly that you can only make change happen if we, you engage with others. Now, I know it sounds a bit presumptuous to say just because we are engaging, we, we can make a difference. But, you know, if you are isolating somebody, if you uh, completely um, sanction them, uh, if you don't interact with them, you cannot take any influence uh, and can, cannot uh, make any uh, change happen. You know, ultimately, by opening up, by engaging, you do not only get to know more about uh, the other side, but if you have the stronger model, and in West Germany, of course, we were absolutely convinced that we had the stronger and better uh, model, you ultimately create an urge by the people on the other side to really change their system. It ultimately happened in 89. As you know, the Iron Curtain came down. And that's why I feel it's so important not to you know, isolate places, not to not engage, um, but to really engage and to um, and therefore to create more openness and also more openness to change, mm. um, and and that's why I felt you know we should also work in Saudi Arabia, uh, but of course also staying true to our ethical standards. So one of the key um, conditions for every work that we did there was that we would bring teams of different gender, different races, different religions. Mm. And clients really had to sign this. And, and one of the first clients, you know, was, was Sama, the central uh, bank. And um, so we also had, uh, uh, you know, an, you know a, a female uh, consultant on the case. I think, if I remember correctly, she was from Syria. And and the, the leadership of Sama really bent over backwards to make it work. And of course, we did not we, we could not go together down with her to the cafeteria, but, you know, some of our people went down there, brought the lunch. But she was uh, participating in the meetings for the client was fine. Then we engaged uh, later on on uh, employment, unemployment uh, benefits, but also employment then. And, um, you know, we pushed very hard for not just including men, but also women. Mm. 
on on the side of you know the beneficiaries. And after a few months, the, the, the government, in particular the king, decide, yes, it should also be for women. I think step by step, you know, that, you know, there have been significant improvements, uh, notwithstanding, I mean, the, the current um, crisis around uh, Mr. Khashoggi and uh, his murder. I think it's very important to, to engage this. And I think I would, you know, as much as we are critical of, of many regimes, um, You know, I think we need to work in those countries and try to help open up and improve things and ultimately um, bring um, a better, let's, let me say this in a neutral way, business model to uh, those countries. Now, of course, it sounds very much like, you know, alibi for a business mm -hmm. enterprise that wants to justify <laughs> um, uh, working there. But I, I truly believe that this is the only way mm. of making uh, a change happen. Mm. But does um, an event like the killing of Khashoggi change the calculus? Is there an agreed-upon standard for when it's gone too far? I'm sure there are, uh, there are limits. I mean, of course, it's very difficult to say who has done what when. Um, I'm never sure whether we will ever get this. Um, and uh, uh, I think we will uh, definitely, I mean, we'll have a hard time finding out whether, um, you know, uh, anybody in the government ordered this. Um, I mean, this is being um, alleged by, by certain other people, you know, um, Quite honestly, I think for us the the uh, the key is to really uh, engage with the government, with the entities, on um, moving forward and getting the right things done, and hopefully uh, preventing uh, things like this to happen. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if you can now introduce the second piece of artwork that was important. Reading about um, history in, in places which may no longer um, exist, you know, I had a long, you know, stack of books today, mm -hmm. you would not have these things, you know, about history volumes across 3,000 years, and I had this habit of just sometimes looking into uh, one of the volumes, and for example, I remember in, in, in Central America, mm -hmm. cultures that have been dominating for hundreds of years and then within a couple of decades vanishing. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that was also interesting because nobody really knows why it happened. There are no written documents left, unearthed some, some uh, maybe some old cities, uh, graves and so forth, and, and, you, and we will never fully understand what happened. Mm. But I think, you know, it, it gives you a sense of... Uh, Everything has only a specific lifetime. There is nothing is eternal. And I do remember in 1989, in the, the summer, and uh, Erich Honecker gave a speech on the 40th anniversary of the GDR. And one of the things that he addressed was that the wall... I mean, no, not there forever, but at least it would stand another thousand years. And given that in Germany we have some experience with uh, thousand years, mm. uh, which lasted 12 years, too, too long or 12 and a half years, too long, but, but certainly 
these tribes or cultures that have been lasting for hundreds of years dominating and then within a couple of decades vanishing. I thought, well. you know, the wall will not be there in a thousand years. <laughs> I did not anticipate that the wall would fall within a few months, but it would not be there, uh, you know, uh, for forever. And, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting when you read things that it makes you think. Mm. It really makes you question uh, beliefs. That's why I also like to, to read commentary from people who have a very different view. You know, it's, it's interesting and it's important to confront yourself mm. with these views in order to, to ask the right questions and also to, um, to say, am I overlooking something? A few weeks ago, I was on a panel. I remember it was in, in Buenos Aires. Yeah. And there was a guy who said, um, profits only come from um, making use of externalities. Mm. Yeah? So you, know, you cannot make actually a, a company that is profitable is just um, screwing society. So in a, in a very mm. you know, <laughs> rough sense. the same sense. panel with you. Yeah, yeah, Gosh. no, that's fine. And he, he admitted, I mean, he was uh, some uh, left-wing uh, thing, and, uh, you know, uh, proponent. But, in, but I think it's, uh, of course, you can easily dismiss this and so forth. But, um, but I think it is important to, uh, to think about these things. Mm. To, uh, to ask yourself, am I missing something? Have uh, there been specific thinkers on the left or the right who've really confronted you and made you do that? I, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned Mao Zedong at the, at the beginning, and, you know, I, I remember, still remember one of the things that he said, uh, life is a wave-like process, you know, uh, ups and downs, and, um, and, you know, ultimately, hopefully, the trend line is a positive one. And, and I feel that... You know, in this very general sense, yes, I mean, it, it, you know, that's how I feel. You know, life is, um, is, is a wave-like process, um, and we've seen the developments. I think we have seen the ups and downs, but I think the overall trend line is a very positive one. Mm. I, um, I'm not, you know, too... Uh, um, I mean, yes, I've read some philosophers, but I would not say that, you know, they are... are um, you know, deeply, uh, they have deeply influenced me, and I'm sure they have influenced me, but, you know, to, to, the, to what extent is always difficult to say in the end. Gotcha. To return to something you said on the panel this morning, I think there's a sense in which consultants sort of move with the times, and a lot of the major consultancies like BCG, presumably now, work on mitigating, say, the effects of climate change. But the same consultants rewind the clock sort of five decades, and they were building up the kind of production that has contributed to those problems. So I wonder how you manage long-term thinking in an industry that's so caught up with delivering results in the short term. Well, first of all, at BCG, we had a group of people who were thinking about the environment already in the early 90s. Um, And um, I still remember we had actually one uh, project with the German government, the unified government to think about how to address the environmental issues in East Germany. Unfortunately, the project, because of you know, some um, challenging public servants you know, who actually didn't want you know, any new ideas, they just wanted to apply what was true in West Germany to East Germany. So in the end, it was uh, 
not a very big project uh, and a not, certainly not a successful one. We didn't have any take-up. Clients were not interested. Today it's different. Mm. You know, people think about how to um, but be much more resource-efficient, energy-efficient. You know, this is something we have to address. And we have, in a way, we have always addressed, I think, try to to uh, create things with, with less, uh, with fewer resources, with uh, fewer energy. I, um, but I, I clearly see, I think there is um, a challenge. We need to cut back on uh, the uh, use of resources, of energy, uh, of land, um, and still achieve growth and progress, uh, especially in the so-called emerging markets. Mm. And I think there is, I, I'm sure we'll find the solutions going forward. It will take a uh, huge effort, but as the tensions, you know, the uh, rise, um, hurricanes, the impact of climate change, droughts, I think the more we'll keep on pushing. Mm. As always, people only start pushing, feel the problems themselves. Um, it's part of also our job as individuals and as, as consultants, but it's also part of everybody's job. And I think pushing this forward, this agenda, will be on the minds of, of more and more people and companies uh, going forward. So I, but I think we will solve it. You know, I'm I'm quite optimistic, um, but it will take a lot of painful decisions, and it will not be certainly a straight line. Mm. You speak a lot about creativity and innovation. I wonder what the relationship between method and procedure for which BCG is often known and innovation and creative solutions are. I assume there's some synergistic relationship in your view. I think it's it's something that, you know, we we have been wrestling with forever. I think there is no clear methodology to be creative. Mm-hmm. I think one of the key elements of course is to have an open mind to to try out things um and not to assume that you know the answers up front or you just, you know, s- uh, assume you have done it 50 times before so you know exactly, you know, how to proceed. But you always try to find a new approach, a new way, and hopefully uh, maybe also a new, um, a new and creative idea. But there is no guarantee. And if you look at the history of, of very successful companies, it's not that Apple did... Um, invent the iPod yeah? but Apple did uh, great things with it and so I think um, creativity innovation is is being open to means being open to to many things that are happening mm. and also not being afraid of copying something which is good and then maybe just refining it and making it better so yes you need to be systematic uh, but you need to be open uh, at the same time, but above all, when you when you then found a way, you have to be very persistent. So it's not necessarily the the one who comes with the first idea or the one who is uh, particularly clever uh, in in refining something, but it's the one who can also be very persistent in getting things done. Mm-hmm. And so I always believe in this combination of passion or openness, and then being very persistent in trying to ensure that things get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Too, many, uh, too many visions and strategies and uh, great intentions end up nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the final 
perhaps book you, you seem like a voracious reader or artwork that sticks yes I would say uh, there was a book which and I, I think it, the, the author is an Austrian guy Seethaler you know it's called The Other Life mm -hmm. and it's about somebody who grew up in the mountains you know it was a, it's a very hard life in the mountains between the, the wars um, the first and the second world war and it was a very austere life and I think you know it's, it's very important to But he, he, somebody who was never dissatisfied or who complained, who just did his job, you know, also finding, you know, eventually uh, a wife. Um, and um, just to see how people in very different circumstances take destiny in their own hands. You know, they do their job, they, they, uh, they work hard, but they have a, a reasonable, even if tough life. They don't complain They, uh, uh, they make it work somehow. And I think, you know, that I found quite impressive. I mean, my wife said the language, of course, I mean, she, is, she, is, uh, she studied uh, German literature and therefore, of course, can evaluate that much better. I'm, I'm a much more, I'm a much faster reader and don't uh, really, uh, I would say, appreciate the, um, the language as much as she does. Um, for me, it's more the content, the stories. And I found that actually quite a, a fascinating book. So it's not about the big charismatic leaders. It's about the life or the, the uh, life of others. I think really appreciating that um, uh, I find uh, is very important. And we need to, to recognize that there are Many, I'm not sure whether they're heroes, but there are many people who lead a life where they take charge uh, of uh, their destiny and a few uh, people around them uh, and make it work. And I think that really is also the fabric of, of society ultimately. Yeah? Rather than, I mean, today we have the sense of complaining, you know, the state is not doing this, society is not providing not for that, people are disadvantaged and so forth rather than people saying, okay, it's my life, I take responsibility, I do it. I, I'm not complaining about this or that, and I'm not assuming that somebody else should provide for me. Yeah, that's, but, I mean, that's my interpretation of it. I'm not sure whether sure. somebody else who reads this <laughs> would not give it a completely different interpretation. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. My guest this week was Dr. Hans-Paul Berkner, chairman of the Boston Consulting Group. Cover art is by Alistair Debling, sound by Jay Park, music by Rico Alice. You can subscribe to Political Arts on SoundCloud or iTunes. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk some more next week. <laughs>